She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Season 2. Episode 22. F. Emasculata. In this episode, Mulder and Scully are brought in on a manhunt for escaped convicts. But once they arrive, they learn there's some kind of viral outbreak at the prison. And the escaped men may be infected and spreading the contagion. Mulder works with the marshals to track the men down, while Scully tries to determine the nature of the outbreak. This episode was written by Chris Carter and Howard Gordon, and it was directed by Rob Bowman. It was filmed in Vancouver and Delta, British Columbia. Its original air date was Friday, April 28th, 1995. And on April 21st, they ran a rerun of Red Museum. Viewership for this episode was 14 million in the United States, which is up 1.1 million from last time. Nice. So before we start, I just have a question for you. Yeah. Are you an outbreak type fan? Like, do you like reading about outbreak type stories or watching those kind of movies or no? I don't know that I've ever seen them. I read The Andromeda Strain okay. by Michael Crichton. Yeah, I read when that I was too. On my, after I read Jurassic Park, I started reading a bunch of Michael Crichton books. Mm-hmm. That was one of those ones where I read the book before I went and saw the movie. Because yeah. you got to do it, right? I did too. And I was like 12. So I did not understand a lot of the science <laughs> in Jurassic Park. But that's okay. It was fun. Yeah. I don't know that. I, like, I haven't seen, like, Contagion or a lot of those. So I don't really know. Okay. Cool. I was just curious. I tend to be a big fan of those, but I'm also a fan of like zombie stories. And so that tends to be an outbreak story, but it's a a little bit different. So yeah. Anyway, I was just curious. No, not. I mean, I can't say that I'm a fan or not a fan because I really don't have a lot of experience. That is fair. I haven't even seen, I've always wanted to because I read the book. I've never actually seen the movie version of the Andromeda Strain either from like 1970 something. I forget when it was. Yeah, I don't know that I've seen the movie either. It was made not too long after the book was written. So, I think, but I think it's it's either like late, it's either 70s or early 80s, but I think it's 70s, but I've never seen that either. I wanted to. So, might have to watch that. So we're in the Guanacast Rainforest in Costa Rica. And a scientist who we'll learn is Robert Torrance. And that name is important. Mm-hmm. He's prying up some bark with a stick that like a tongue depressor kind of action. And he's extracting a beetle. And then we see some vultures that are circling in the sky nearby. And he puts the beetle in a plastic container. And he like has a silver briefcase, which reads biodiversity project. And he like puts the bugs in there and he like grabs his pack and he heads off. He's hunting vultures i guess for some reason and he reaches the area where the vultures are sitting and they're on a corpse and the corpse they were eating is a warthog and it's covered in like maggots and beetles and more importantly for our story it's covered in these odd pustules that are like gross and some of them have popped and there's like maggots in the cavity mm-hmm, and some mm-hmm. of them are just they're gross yeah and so he puts on some gloves because you can look at the corpse and then one of the pustules is kind of pulsing. And he's kind of like, oh. And he basically, like, he's going to pop a giant zit. He kind of, like, presses on the sides of it. 
not sure what he thought was going to happen, but like all this goop like shoots out and sprays him in the face. And he's like, oh, and he takes his glasses off and something gets in his mouth and he spits and oh, gross. again, I'm not gross. sure what he was thinking was going to happen. It's pulsing and he squeezed it like a giant zit. What do you think is going to happen? dude? I wonder if he thought maybe anyway. there was like a bug in there that he could like get out or something. But yeah, it's not I mean, there are move. there are there are a lot of bugs in the rainforest. But that's how they actually yeah come out like they come out through like the skin in that yeah. kind of way. So oh, for sure. Yeah. So then he gets some tweezers and a Q-tip and he's going to get a sample from the pustule that just exploded in his face. And so then later it's nighttime and he's at like his camp and we hear the radio crackling and we hear RPB field base come in and he repeats it, but all he gets is static. And he's like, I'm Dr. Robert Torrance with a biodiversity project. And he's requesting immediate evacuation from sector Z15. It's a medical emergency. And we see he's got like his flashlight kind of shining on his face as he's talking to his radio. And he has these pustules all over his face. Ooh. Yeah. And he's like you know, talking like he's not in great shape. And then seven hours later, it's daytime and a military squad is moving through the forest. And one of them hears something and he gestures for the other man to come with him, follow the sound. And they approach an area and they see vultures. And so one of them shoots their rifle in the air to scare the vultures away. And they find Robert Torrance's body on the ground and he's got the pustules on his face and bugs are crawling all over his skin and he'd be eaten by vultures so it's a theme song yep yep theme song theme song <laughs> yep yeah. it does seem weird that the dude be out there by himself but well i mean he had a radio and i think like i don't know it's like a who knows how far he was from whatever camp they had mm. we don't know okay so we're at Cumberland State Correctional Facility in Dinwiddie County, Virginia. And a correctional officer walks down the hall and he's carrying some mail. And the cells in this area have like those solid doors and they have like small windows at the top and like the mail food slots. So he opens the window of a cell and he says, hey, Bobby, you got some mail. And Bobby's like, don't waste my time. Both of them know he doesn't have anybody. So no one's sending him mail. And the officer opens the mail slot and Bobby like shields his eyes from the light. And the officer said, oh, it could be from those Baptists in Annandale. I hear they've been sending prisoners fruitcakes. And so he drops the parcel through the slot and walks away. And Bobby picks up the package and it's addressed to Robert Torrance, which is also his name. And mm. we see the address is crossed out and then the correctional facilities address is written below it. So he's kind of confused and he opens it. But that only makes him more confused because he pulls out this like bloody newspaper and he unwraps it and it's like part of a hog's leg. So it's like weird. And he drops it in disgust. And then he yells at the guard, Winston. He's like, do you think this is funny? But Winston is gone and there's like no one out in the hall to hear his yells. And then sometime later, Bobby like wakes up and he sees that the hog leg he tossed in the corner has something pulsating under its skin. Ugh. and uh basically stuff pulsating under your skin is really bad news on the x-files like it's bad news in general but i feel like on the x-files history has shown that if something's pulsing under skin it's not good yeah not good so we see two men in hazmat suits and they look down at bobby who is lying on a table and one of them is dr osborne and he asks when bobby was exposed and Bobby has these big, ugly pustules on his cheek and on his neck. And the other person that has met suit says, 18 hours ago. And Osborne's like, oh, I've never heard everything incubating so quickly. Uh, 
And then Bobby's like, I want to see the prison doctor. And they're like, don't worry, we're specialists. We can take care of this. And he's like, what's wrong with me? And like, they don't answer him. And then Osborne is like, he's got like a little caliper. And he's like, oh, the pustules are about five centimeters long and they're fairly uniform. And then Bobby's temperature is like 103 and a half. And his oxygen level is at 81%. And again, Bobby's like, what's wrong with me? And one of them says to relax, we're here to help you. And then Osborne looks at him and you can t- kind of tell Osborne is like, yeah, we're not helping you, dude. You're dead. Yeah. So no, that's definitely a lie. Yeah, definitely a lie. And also definitely a lie that they're fairly uniform because like some of them are clustered and some of them are big and some of them are small. But then again, I'm not a specialist. Yeah. You're not an infectious disease specialist. You can't look at the screen and clearly see that they are not uniform. No, I can't. <laughs> they are not. They're not very good. They are they're kind of like all over the place. Maybe I'm just not supposed to. Maybe and they're gross. They're very gross. Like the whoever did like the pulsating makeup. I mean, it's very good because it's very gross. Dr. Osborne is played by Charles Martin Smith, and he's had a very long career as a character actor. He's appeared in way too many shows to name. Some of the ones that stood out to me were Northern Exposure. He's been in Leverage. He's been on Fringe and Psych. And he's also been in a lot of TV movies, and he played a doctor in the movie Deep Impact. Hmm. So if you like disaster movies, he's apparently good at being a doctor in disaster scenarios. I'm going to say that this might become a disaster scenario. (laughs) I mean, I don't think it's going to go well with these weird pustules, but we'll see. Probably not. So Winston comes back and he opens the door to Bobby's cell, and he's letting like these other prisoners in. And he tells him, I'll put the sheet in the cart and to get all the pillows too. And then he says, I'll be back in five minutes. And then one of the prisoners notes that Winston couldn't clear out of there fast enough. And then he says, apparently the whole cell block is empty and the infirmary is full. They're actually running out of beds. And one of the other prisoners says, well, there must be something going around. And then the original guy who had, he's like long hair. And we'll find out later his name is Paul. So Paul's like, maybe but he knows the sheets aren't going to the laundry. They're going to be incinerated. And so the other guy, who I think at some point we learn his name is Steve. I think at one point they do say Steve. So I'm going to say Steve here. Okay. He asked Paul, but the laundry pickup is still happening. And Paul kind of nods. So So they mm. know something's weird. I think just based on my knowledge of prison movies, that the laundry pickup is happening. I think they're escaping. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely a reference to that. Yeah. You know, and honestly, with something weird going on, that might even be a better time to try and escape. Although it sounds like they had it planned before that. Yeah. So Mulder and Scully arrive at the prison, and they're escorted by two military soldiers. And through a window from the room they're led to, they can see, like, behind that door, there are men in hazmat suits wheeling away a silver box with stickers on it. And Mulder's like, I thought this was about escape prisoners and Scully's like, it is. And Mulder's like, well then what's with the men in the funny suits and Marshall Tapia bursts in with his squad and he makes a derogatory comment about federal agents. And he's like, are you Mulder and Scully? And they're like, yes, we have orders to assist the federal marshal on this manhunt. And he asks if they've ever run an escaped convict operation and they say no. And he's like, well, in that case, it'd be more help if you just stay out of the way. And so he like starts to walk away and Mulder's like, well, we'll be happy to as soon as we speak to someone in charge. And Tapia turns and he's like, I'm in charge. And Mulder's like, well, if you were, you would know why our help was requested. And Scully says they don't really know why they're there. Maybe if they can talk to the warden or something. And Tapia's like, no one is here. This facility has been taken over by the National Guard and most of it has been closed off. 
And then Scully asks why, and Tapia doesn't know why. Because federal marshal business isn't in the prison, it's out there trying to catch the two convicts. And then he leaves. And so Mulder asks Scully where the case originated, and Scully says it came out of Skinner's office. So Mulder's like, this isn't the sort of thing the FBI usually gets called in on. And he gets the feeling they're not really being told the whole story. And Scully agrees. So he suggests she head into the medical area to see what's going on. And she says she'll try. And she asks what he's going to do. And he says he's going to get in the way. Hmm. Yeah. It is weird that Tapia is like, he makes derogatory comments about federal officers, but they're U.S. Marshals. They're federal I too. I know. Like what? I think he's, you know, oh, the Marshals versus the FBI. It's like a feud. But yeah, the way he says I mean, it's, it is. It's not like Chris Carter and Howard Gordon are Canadian. I mean, realize they're filming in Vancouver, but like they're American. They know or they should know like how American stuff works. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I don't understand how things work in America. But yeah, I think um, it's just an odd comment. It's supposed to meant like the feds, you know, like, but he is feds. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. So Marshall Tapia is played by Dean Norris, who's known for playing Hank Schrader in Breaking Bad, which I've never seen. Me neither. Um, he's also been on almost every procedural known to man. He's been on CSI, Law and Order, Bones, Medium, Criminal Minds, JAG. He had a recurring role on The Big Bang Theory for one season. And he was in an episode of Superstore, which is a good show. He's also appeared on Lost, Boston Legal, The West Wing, Six Feet Under, and one episode of Millennium. So he's been in lots oh. of stuff. Yeah. He looks really familiar, but I did not go look to see what I might know him from. Yeah. So I mean, he he's been familiar. in many, many, like, again, he's just yeah. been in tons of stuff. So He also kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Colonel Budahas. Mm-hmm. Or agent, I guess Agent Weiss more recently. Yeah, no, he does have kind of a similar look. Yeah. So we see an RV and it pulls up to a rest stop and like, you know, near the bathroom. And a couple gets out and two girls jump out and the dad's like, you go with your mom to the women's side of the restroom. And the dad goes over to the men's side of the restroom. And so he goes in and then from inside one of the stalls, we see someone step down off one of the toilets and then we pan up and we see that it's paul the long-haired prisoner from earlier and he carefully opens the stall door i don't think anything's good gonna happen to dad no it might happen probably not yeah so the mom and the girls come out of the women's room and as they do the rv is like driving away and they're like hey hey robert we have like three roberts now at this point i don't know like can you guys come up with a different name maybe? i know awesome. i mean the first two like, there's <laughs> a reason but like this one i was like i had to go back and make sure she was shouting robert i'm like what what is the deal with this anyway <laughs> yeah and then we see that it's paul and steve in the rv and they're driving away so she's like shouting and they just keep on trucking yep so at the door to the prison medical facility, Scully holds up her badge because like it's got like the like the wired glass like as part of the door, so you can like see through the door itself. And she's told this is a restricted area, and she asks who the person is that she's talking to, and he says he's Dr. Osborne. And Scully asks if he's the prison doctor, and he's like, No, he works for the CDC. So Scully asks what he's doing there, and he starts to walk away. And so she starts like banging on the door and says, like, I'm a medical doctor, and I want to know what's going on. So total like scully thing right and he, he doesn't let her in and then she says that if he doesn't let her in a lot of people in washington are going to find out that he's conducting a secret quarantine in the prison and so he like sighs and he opens the door 
and he says he's under strict orders, and she's like, so am I. So, yep. Scully doing her Scully thing that Tori loves. I love, I dude, I love a sort of Scully. I don't care. Like, I, it makes me happy, which <laughs> I, I'm going to need to hold on to this happiness because it's not going to last. So Osborne tells her that there's a flu-like illness going around. 14 prisoners have been infected. So far, 10 have died. And Scully asks what the chances are that the men who escaped are infected. And he doesn't answer, but his expression is very clear. The chances are pretty good. That's a hell of a flu. Yeah. So Mulder arrives at the rest stop with some of the marshals and a marshal interviewing the woman and she's crying, hugging her daughters. And then Mulder's phone rings and it's Scully. And she's watching people in hazmat suits through a glass window. And she tells him that she's starting to get an idea of what's going on. There's a deadly contagion sweeping the lockdown population of the prison. And Mulder's like, well, how deadly? And she's like, 36 hours, that's for infection deadly. And so he asked if the escape men were infected. And Scully says the nature of the pathogen and those men's exposure to it is unclear. So Mulder walks into the men's room and he sees the body of the RV driver laying on the floor. And his head is all bloody. And Mulder says, well, either way, these men are dangerous. And then he tells her to call him as soon as she knows anything. Yeah. So a man comes up to Scully and Dr. Osborne is trailing behind. And he basically demands that she leave. And she refuses until she gets some answers. And he tells her that she's in violation of federal statutes. And she's like, dude, I'm a federal agent. So then he asks who she was on the phone to. And she says that it was her partner. And he needs to know if the men he's pursuing are infected. And the doctor's like, that information is unavailable. So she has to see charts of patients in the infirmary. And he says, you see what I let you see and walks away because he's super helpful. So Osborne gives her kind of an apologetic look and then he follows the other doctor and Scully sees a table with masks and gloves and takes some PPE. And I'm just sitting there going, Scully, do not go into an infected area without full quarantine hazmat suit. I swear to Godzilla, please do not do that because... I don't know. I'm probably more annoyed by this just because like having lived through a year of COVID, I'm like, no, you gotta, gotta suit up. Not that we were wearing hazmat suits to the grocery store. Maybe we should have been. Who can say? I, I do like the fact that he's like, you're in violation of federal statutes. And she's like, well, I'm a federal agent. Like those two aren't like, <laughs> they can't both happen at the same time. Like, I know. I mean, it's, a, <laughs> she's just, she's just mad. and She's going to say what she wants to get it. But he's, he's also like, I feel like, at that point, just give her some information because, I, I mean, I get why he's not, but like, dude, dude. Yeah. She's going to be there. Just tell her something. It's like saying like, you're violating crimes. No, I'm not. I'm a cop. It's like, <laughs> you can still be violating crimes, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can still be committing crimes if you're a cop. In fact, yeah. you might be more yeah. likely. Yeah, I guess you don't <laughs> violate crimes, you commit crimes, but you know what I mean. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the RV that the convict stole is parked in front of a roadside stop and big sign is like gas, fruits, vegetables, because, you know, healthy eating is important when you're taking long distance trips, I guess. And the gas pump is like in the side of the RV and the cashier is like looking out the window and he's like checking his watch because I guess they've been there for a while. But I mean, it's an RV. It probably takes a long time to fill up. Right. And then he kind of like goes back looking through his magazine. And then we cut to this woman and we'll find out her name is Elizabeth. And she's sitting like in like a house with her toddler. And then the phone rings. And then we find out that Paul, he has calling her from the phone booth at the roadside stop. And he's like, I'm free, baby. And she's like, where are you? And he's like, I'm coming home. I'm coming to get you. 
So at first, yeah. the first time I watched this, I thought she looked kind of like unhappy that he was. Yeah, at first her. she does look kind of yeah, like oh my god, like but, he's but, free. But then later she's really happy to see him. So I don't know if maybe it was just yeah. that she was supposed to be surprised. No, at first, yeah, I think it was just maybe like shock or just not good acting or something. But yeah, at first she's like like she had that like fear factor in her face of like oh my god he's loose. But right. Yeah. But yeah, later she's totally happy to see him. Yeah. Speaking so. of which, Elizabeth, I mean, she looked really familiar to me. She's played by Linda Boyd. Linda Boyd also played a woman in the bar in Fire. So she's been in the X-Files before. Yep. And she's also been in many things, including The L Word, Psych, and of course, Supernatural. Yeah, she's the one that old creepy Cecil was like, like she was kind of hidden on him. And he was like, oh yeah, watch me burn this bar down. Yeah, like, I couldn't remember if she was the <laughs> one that was like. Yeah, no, she, and then like they later the interview were in the hospital. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what, just, okay. But all her hair's chopped off in this one. She's got like a yeah. really short cut. Yeah. She is, yeah, she looked very familiar. And Paul is played by John Piper Ferguson, who will appear in two more episodes of The X-Files. Although in those episodes, he plays the same character, Detective John Kresge. Oh, I wonder if he's got a haircut. Knows. he'll also appear on two episodes of millennium oh. and in addition he's been in a million things like everyone who's a character actor on shows he's been in burn notice agents of shield the 100 and once upon a time oh. i mean i'm stereotyping that he would have a haircut if he plays a detective but I yeah i mean well. he probably he so, probably does yeah yeah so meanwhile the attendant slash cashier he's like gonna go check on things because like apparently they've been there like longer than you need to be to fill up this rv so he like goes over and he's looking in the cab of the window and he calls inside, but like no one answers. So then he eventually goes to like the bathroom at the gas station and he like opens the door. Apparently it wasn't locked or maybe he has a key. I don't know. But like Steve is like writhing on the floor and he's got pustules on his face. And then the attendant's like, dude, you look messed up. Are you all right? And then from behind him, we see Paul and he's got a pipe and the guy turns. He's like, ah, and then we cut. <laughs> yeah. So at the prison, Scully heads into a room labeled incinerator and she puts on the gloves and the mask and then she goes over to a stack of plastic bags that are like piled up and inside are bodies and the bodies are like all wrapped in plastic and covered in pustules. So <laughs> Scully punctures the bag and then Osborne catches her and he's like, you can't be down here. And he's not wearing a mask of any kind because obviously this area is not quarantine area and these things are wrapped in plastic for a reason. Yeah. And she just didn't puncture the bag. She like sliced it open. Right. And yeah. so he tries to close the bag. And for some reason she takes off her mask, which I don't understand. <laughs> and she's got to talk. So you got to be able to see her mouth. And Osborne says the body should not be exposed. And so Scully's like, do all the victims have these boils? And of course, one of the pustules bursts and it squirts the weird like pus liquid onto Osborne's face and he panics and runs away. Hopefully they have a good decon eyewash station nearby. I, I don't think it's going to make it. Yeah. So like this is this is me joining Nick over in his corner. And I'm going to say that Scully like the writing of Scully is bad and it's not in TV writing. And this, this is a trope. It happens in movies and books as well. But there's a thing called the idiot ball. And the idiot ball is where you have a character do things that are out of character or something that the character would generally be too smart to do because you need them to do it to further the plot. And basically, Chris Carter has handed Scully a big idiot ball and been like, hey, why don't you cut open plastic of like infected bodies with barely any PPP on and then move your mask in the middle while, while 
the it's exposed to the air which i just i don't believe that scully would do that in any way shape or form like i think scully is smarter than that i believe Mulder would do that if you told him there were alien bodies in there he would tear the plastic open before you could stop him but i just i don't think scully would and so i think it just does her a disservice for the sake of the plot and I know that they want to get Osborne infected and they want to have a question as to whether Scully's infected. I just think there are a million better ways to do that. And I really did not like how they handled it. So that is my little rant. I apologize. basking in the glow. I mean, I love Scully. I just <sighs> think this is, I wish, I wish they had done it a different way because there are a thousand ways for this to have happened where it isn't Scully doing something like why doesn't she just examine it through the plastic she knows better we know she knows better we've seen her yeah we should specify it is clear plastic you can see through it right and this is the thing is like I'm not mad at Scully I'm mad at the writers for writing Scully this way because I don't think she would do this I have seen her take precautions well I mean as we've said many times you can't really be mad at Scully because Scully doesn't exist no but I mean you know like I'm not mad at the character. I'm mad at the writing for having the character do things that I don't believe the character would do. I think she knows better. So it's just kind of ridiculous. But it gets them where they want, which is questioning whether Scully might be infected, which there are better ways to do it. But what do I know? I'm not Chris Carter, and I didn't develop an award-winning, long-running television show. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to question some of that. But (laughs) anyway... I will say, like, not again, not to like blame the character, but Scully did just effectively kill that guy. Yeah, no, it's her. It's one hundred percent because, like, he wouldn't have been infected otherwise. No. And like, like she did. just gave him a death sentence. Clear basically. plastic. <laughs> yeah, she literally just killed the dude. Anyway, so. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. He's not an important side character anyway. But you know, yeah. and because he literally was just killed, even though it's going to take a while. We had a commercial right after he ran away, like ah, running down the hall. <laughs> yeah. So <'cause> commercials, <laughs> yes. So there we go. So it's morning at that roadside gas station, and the RV is still parked there, and the gas nozzle still in the RV, and then like all these cars with sirens, woo woo, come tearing in. They've like got their hands with their guns like sticking out the windows. They're not messing around because they don't know what they're going to come across apparently, and they're just like. Oh, and they run out and they've got their guns and they're surrounding the RV and they go in and they bust through stuff. And they're like, whoa, 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 just total like cop porn everywhere. But everything is empty. Then Mulder opens the bathroom. I don't know if he's looking for someone or just had to go, but he opens the bathroom door and there's the attendant on the floor, but he's still alive. Ooh, so Mulder goodness. tells Tapia the attendant's name is Angelo Garza and he took a crack to the head. And Mulder does make a comment about, like, he has a lot of hair, so much to cushion the blow. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how hair works, Mulder, but okay. <laughs> Look, it's one of his milder theories. Let's just move on. <laughs> like, I have fluffy hair, but you should see Angelo. Woo! It'll, like, it's like a helmet. It'll maybe, maybe that's why Mulder has fluffy hair, because he keeps getting hit on the head. <laughs> and he thinks it helps. <laughs> I don't know. I just like it was just a little side comment. I'm like, what? What did you just say? That's what oh anyway. So Angelo told Mulder that he found one of the men on the floor and he had a large boil on his face, and that might be a symptom of the contagion at the prison. So Tapia tells the others that the convicts took Angelo's keys, they cleaned up the safe, and they took Angelo's car. They possibly have a firearm, and they definitely have a head start. So another marshal, he's got like a map on the hood of the car. 
And Mulder asks if they have any idea where the convicts are headed. And Tapia's like, well, there's like, it's like 27 routes or something like that out of the whatever. There's like a bunch of places they could go. We have no idea. Basically, he doesn't know. And so Mulder asks if either of the convicts has a girlfriend. Then Tapia's like, those records are locked up in the prison and we don't have access to them. And Mulder's like, well, if they had girlfriends, they probably would have tried to call them. And I'm like, why would you not have all possible information on these escaped convicts outside of prison? Like, that would probably help you figure out where they were going. Like, do they have families? Like, you don't have any of that information? You're just like, they escaped prison. Let's just chase them. Like, what, what no, Mulder is like, he is a really solid detective and like a good investigator. But also he just thinks of things that people should have thought of. 10 steps yeah. ago. And he's just like, doing like common sense stuff that you should all be doing that no one else does. Yeah. And it's, I mean, sometimes he is very like astute, but then other times he's just like, why has no one, like, this is a thing you guys should have done yeah. immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, get it. it's fine. Also, Tapia is literally trying to steal a soda from the soda machine when Mulder approaches him. He's like, uh, uh, trying to yank the soda out of the soda machine and then it won't come out. So That's he like walks good. away. It's good. It's like, like a subtle okay. indication that this guy's not morally upstanding. It's perfect. Uh, so then Mulder heads to a payphone and he presses the zero button for the operator and he identifies himself as a federal agent and gives his badge number, which I'm not going to repeat here. You can look on the internet and people are like, oh, it's his badge number, whatever. And he asks for the last call made from the phone booth. And then while the operator is like telling him the number, this rescue helicopter lands and is like super loud. And he's like, hey, can you please repeat it? But he does manage to get the information. And then out of the helicopter, these men in hazmat suits rush out and they've got like this plastic encased gurney with like a air unit on everything you know to recycle the air to keep it all safe and they run towards the marshals and they grab angelo and they throw him in the thing and then take off with him and like the marshals are like tapia's running around he's demanding to know who they are and what's going on and angelo's like oh let me out of here and they're like won't talk to anybody Mulder tries to get their attention but they're like just push him away and then the helicopter starts to fly away and Mulder's like well he backs up because he doesn't want to get like I mean, I don't know, Jace, you just get knocked down by the wind. I don't know what happened if you stood too close yeah. to it and took off. Yeah. So they came and got Angelo. I'm thinking, shouldn't they technically take everybody? Because we don't know if angelo is contagious also yeah and like it makes you wonder so this is one thing that i was curious about with the episode and i watched it a couple weeks ago so maybe i'm just not remembering correctly but it feels like maybe the people like the cdc or the people with the hazmat suits like have a better idea of how it's transmitted so like they could reasonably say well if no you know you probably haven't been infected but it's weird because it's not clear who knows how it's transmitted and when and it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem it seems weird to like send these like ragtag marshals out to hunt these guys who might be carrying this deadly contagion and then also have like a cdc team that is like collecting people who are infected without any like crossover or discussion about like yeah yeah it's just it is weird it's very weird Like just standing like contact tracing, like you'd be like, okay, well, like this guy was in contact with someone who was contagious, right? But then also, all the other people were just in contact with this guy. So, like, what's the vector, like, right? You know? And we are later going to get an explanation of like how it possibly transmits, but then we also get several characters who do become infected who don't meet that criteria. So, 
Oh, do we? I don't know. I don't know if we do. Okay, we'll have to point that out because I don't remember that. Okay. Well, I would say it now, but it would be spoilery. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Then Tapia accuses Mulder of like ordering this, right? He's like, did you order this? And Mulder's like, no. And so Tapia's like, who the hell did? And Mulder's like, I don't know. But he tells him there was a call made from the payphone two hours ago, and he has an address, 925 August Street, and there's a telephone number. And we're assuming there's a city, too, because so far we just know we're in Didwitty County. So anyway, so then we're at 925 August Street and a car pulls up and it's honking. And Elizabeth comes out and she's like, OK, baby, stay right here. Daddy's home. And she puts her son down and then she goes over and Paul jumps out and they embrace and kiss. And they're like, oh, so happy to see you. And then Paul's like, I got somebody with me. So they go to the car and Steve is in the passenger seat. And Steve has got pustules on his face. He is messed up. And Elizabeth touches him and feels his head. One, I would not do that. And then says, he's burning up. And what's wrong with him? And Paul's like, I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. I just have to say, like, like, Paul, you know people who are dying at the prison from some contagion. And, like, why haven't you ditched your little prison bitch boyfriend and, like, Instead, you're going to bring him to infect your family and your partner. It is like, weird. I mean, again, I'm assuming he just doesn't know very much about what the disease is. And if he thinks it's just some kind of flu, again, as we have learned over the last few years, people who think it's just a flu might not take it seriously. Not that I'm talking about anyone in specific. But anyway, <laughs> so that might be it. But it is weird because at this point, like, why didn't you just leave him on the bathroom floor with Angelo? Like, why did you, I guess maybe. Yeah, why are you, why are you still dragging him around? He's obviously, like, super sick. Like, does he know where, like, money is hidden or something? Like, maybe. I, I mean, maybe he's just ride or die. Maybe Paul is super loyal and he's the kind of friend we all want. I guess. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you've got, like, big old giant stuff growing on your face and we know that everyone has been dying I might be like, mm, you're gone. So Steve is one of the people that I was mentioning because as far as we know, Paul and Steve were just cleaning up Robert's room. Right. I'm wondering if he got some pus on him from the sheets or something. Yeah. I mean, but... we, we haven't actually gotten the explanation of how it's transmitted yet, but he does not meet the technical requirement right, of what's explained to us. Yeah. So I don't know. So at least not on screen. Yeah. So. He is number one. Okay, that is fair. I did not remember that. Yeah. So meanwhile, Scully is in the room with the open plastic bag again and no PPE or hazmat suit. It's okay. Well, well, she does have she does have gloves on. She does. She does have her gloves and she's got her mask on her neck. Yeah, so. which the worst, the worst. And I know I'm just bringing a lot of COVID experience, but oh. So she's calling to ask about the origin of a package sent to Robert Torrance. And it says it was sent from Wichita, Kansas. And the person on the other end of the phone says something and she asks him to check it again. And then after they check it again, she thanks him and hangs up. And then she calls Mulder. Yeah. So the package. So when we first see the package, right. And it says like, you know, like it says Robert Torrance and like the address is all crossed out. And it's got like the prison address written down below, like in Sharpie. Right. And the return address is also like crossed out, which I guess is why she's having a call because she can't see it. But it's like, it's, it's with Sharpie. Just use some alcohol, wipe it off. You can see everything. But also just like basic principles here, like going back to like first things, like it's being delivered to a prison, to a prisoner in solitary confinement. And like 
they aren't going to at least like open it or x-ray it before they give it to a prisoner in a prison. And then plus like the address has been crossed out in this new address. Like what? How does that even work? I mean, clearly this prison is not awesome at security. I mean, two guys broke out. They're not, they're not batting a hundred, but like, yeah, I don't know how this would get through any kind of prison screening in the first place. So I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, just. (laughs) I was going to mention that earlier when it first happens, but I was like, oh, we're going to get some more information. So I kind of saved it. Yeah. But I mean, I did think about that when it first showed up. So I'm like, it's close. Like it's sealed. Like they don't know what's in it. Like someone just sent someone a package and like the guard's like, oh, hey, you got a package person in prison. Don't know what's in it. Hope it's not like a gun. Here, here you go. Well, I mean, these guys Um, managed to break out a breakout they were planning before an outbreak and then managed to like do like they orchestrated this outbreak while the prison was under the control of like the federal marshals or something or the i don't know so like clearly they're not on the ball security wise yeah i guess not anyway so Mulder is like cruising with the marshals <laughs> and then his phone rings and he answers it and scully asks him what he knows about pink pharmaceuticals and Mulder says they're one of, if not the biggest pharmaceutical company. And Scully says, well, they sent a package to an inmate at the prison who may be patient zero. And Mulder tells her about the report of the convict with the boils on his face, which means he could be out in the world spreading the contagion. And she says, that's the same thing that she's finding on the bodies here. And so Mulder says, I need to know more about it, how it's transmitted. And she's like, I'm on it. And she hangs up. And then she looks at one of the bodies, probably the one who's like pustule exploded all over where I was born. And then she pulls like this little micro tweezers that she pulls out of a bag. And she reaches into like the pustule on the body and pulls out this like beetle looking bug. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, beetle. So when we cut to Elizabeth and she is putting a cold towel on Steve's head and she calls to Paul that he's awake. And then Steve grabs her and pulls her up super close. And he's like, help me. I'm boarding up. And then his pustule explodes all over Elizabeth's face. It's gross. Yeah, it's very gross. So she, ah! and she runs to the bathroom and washes her face and her hands is washing, washing, washing. And then she comes out and then the marshals burst in and they put her on the ground and they search the place. And Mulder's like, there's one convict dead in the bedroom, but the other Paul is gone. And like the little baby is crying. And like one of the marshals like picks up the baby and like walks away. And then it's commercial time. And mm-hmm. Elizabeth is on the ground. Cop holding her down. Yep. R.I.P. Cool. Elizabeth. Yep. I'm saying commercial because <laughs> Elizabeth is effectively dead. Yeah. Although when we see her later, she doesn't have pustules, so maybe like washing it off right away. Maybe she didn't really get it in her mouth and was able to like get it off. It's entirely mm, possible she's not infected. Uh, I'm holding out hope for Elizabeth. Okay, she doesn't yeah. deserve this. No, she doesn't. But she's <laughs> probably dead. Yeah. So, so at the prison, Scully watches through a window in the infirmary door as Angelo is wheeled inside, and he's still in like that plastic encase or anything. And Osborne grabs her shoulder and tells her to come with him. And then he pulls her into this little room and she asks what's going on. And he pulls down the collar of his shirt and it reveals this pustule that's like on his collarbone. And he says he's been infected. The whole prison's been quarantined. And Scully asks if the CDC ordered that, but Osborne says, no, it's the company. 
And she realizes that he doesn't work for the CDC. He works for Pink Pharmaceuticals. <gasps> what a name. I know, right? So Osborne tells her that Pink finances rainforest exploration with the hope of finding new species that might aid in the creation of drugs. Three months ago, a field entomologist disappeared in Costa Rica, but he had sent them samples of an insect before he vanished. And Scully produces the insect she found in the body. And he picks up the vial and he says that it's Phosphophagia emasculata. They were interested in the bug due to a dilating enzyme that it secretes. And she asks if the bug is what caused the outbreak. And he says, no, not exactly. F. emasculata is a bug that carries a parasite. And the parasite attacks the immune system. And the pustules are actually part of the parasite's reproductive cycle. So the pustules are full of the larvae. And he has her look into a microscope. And so she looks at the larvae on a slide. And so Scully realizes the contagion spreads when the pustules erupt and the larvae are expelled and they burrow into the new host. So Osborne nods. And he tells her that because she was there when the pustule erupted, she may also be infected. <gasps> Again, there were better ways to get here. I'm just saying. Yeah. So Mulder has apparently gone back to Washington, D.C. because he enters Skinner's office and he tells Skinner that he thinks they've been misled about the case they were assigned to, deceived by whoever originated the case. And the cigarette smoking man is actually sitting in the dark and he's like, what's the accusation, Agent Mulder? And he and Skinner kind of look at each other and then Mulder tells the cigarette smoking man that the accusation is that he and Scully were sent on a manhunt without knowledge of the existence or nature of a contagion. And the cigarette smoking man asks, what's the exact nature of the contagion? And Mulder's like, it's deadly. And the cigarette smoking man says, well, how does it spread? Is it viral? Is it bacterial? And Mulder says that over a dozen men have died from it. And he demands to know why they weren't told the truth. And the cigarette smoking man says they didn't know the truth. And then Mulder argues that innocent people could be infected. And what the cigarette smoking man obviously knows could have prevented that. And he says, how? He tells Mulder that in 1988, there was an outbreak of hemorrhagic fever in Sacramento. And the truth would have caused panic and cost lives. But they controlled the disease by controlling the information. And Mulder's like, I won't be party to that. And he, and he kind of like asks Skinner's like, would you? And then the cigarette smoking man says, you're already party to it. How many people are being infected right now while you stand here in this office not doing your job? 10, 20? He's like, what's the truth, Agent Mulder? And then Mulder leaves and Skinner kind of gives a Sigma Smoky Man a look. And so was this an attempt to get rid of Mulder and Scully by killing them? I don't know. Mm. I do. Yeah. I do love the cigarette Smoky Man, though. He makes me so happy. Apparently, Skinner is cool with him smoking in the office now. Well, I don't up on that, I guess. I don't think Skinner has a choice. I think he probably taps the sign and the cigarette Smoky Man <laughs> just ignores it all the time. I do, I do like the scene though, because I do, again, like William B. Davis has this whole thing about how like he's really the good guy and Mulder's the bad guy. And I just think this is a really fun scene because like Cigarette Smoking Man kind of has a point, like how many people are dying because you're in here demanding answers instead of out there trying to control the contagion. But obviously Mulder has a point too, because obviously letting this contagion run without warning anybody is dangerous too. So I'm not saying that that's a good thing. And I'm not saying the government should just ignore pandemics or viral outbreaks and let them run their course in any way. 
but I do herd immunity, herd immunity. That's not how that works. Um, <laughs> that's not how that works. But I just, I do love the cigarette smoking man because he always, he has a point. Like, it's not a point I agree with necessarily, but also like, you know, I don't know. He's always fun. He's always fun yeah. to watch. And I love having him and Skinner around. It just makes me happy. No, it's a good scene. I'm not gonna say it's like a super fantastic scene. Like it's an Emmy award-winning scene. Oh no. I did not do it probably justice in my reading of it. I'm more of an action oriented kind of guy. I like the action. <laughs> I'm not good with the, with the quiet moments. Yeah. But, but yes. William B. Davis but is always great and it's always fun to see yeah. him. So that made me happy. Yeah. So Mulder gets in his car and I'm pretty sure this was something that happened that was improvisational or just like it happened and they kept it because he gets in the car and he tries to put the seatbelt down. But like the seatbelt, you know how sometimes you get in the car and the seatbelt locks up and you can't pull it. Uh And so he fights it for a while and he just gives up. Yeah. And then his phone rings. And I'm pretty sure that that was probably something that just happened and they kept it, but it's pretty cool. It's good. And it shows how Mulder's frustrated and he's like taking it out on the seatbelt. It's good. But it, but it is literally stuck. Like, it's obviously stuck. And, like, you can't usually control how that happens. So I think that may have been something that would maybe wasn't planned. But maybe it was. I don't know. But I liked it. It was pretty cool. I could see it being something that was actually like, oh, that happened and it worked. So let's go with it. So but anyway, as I said, his phone rings and it's Scully. Who else would it be? Right? Who else calls Mulder? No one ever calls Mulder except for Scully. No one <laughs> there was that one time that one person called and was going to meet him for lunch, but he was like in Arecibo, so he missed it. Oh, yeah. Well, they called his answering machine, though. <laughs> it's and true. then he like ditched her and then she called him a pig and was like, oh, Yeah, that's no. true. So, that's true. It wasn't yeah. his cell phone. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> he only gives a cell phone number to Scully. <laughs> only Scully has that number. <laughs> Everyone else gets the machine. So, yeah. But anyway, she tells him the prison is enforcing a full quarantine and she tells him it's pink pharmaceuticals, not the CDC, trying to quietly clean up their mess and the government must know about it. I'm not sure why the government must know about a private company doing something, but okay. Well, because the National Guard is there and because the federal. Well, apparently we've recently learned in real life that you can just buy a National Guard and send them somewhere. So God, reality (laughs) is depressing. So depressing. Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) I love all these parallels like 30 years later. Jeez. Jeez. Oh, okay. Anyway, so Mulder (laughs) asks if she has proof of that. And she says, why else would the National Guard be there? And Mulder wants her to document everything she can. People have to know about the cover-up. And Scully is shocked, shocked. And he says it's a public health crisis. But Scully says they can't just leak this information until they know more. And she says that Paul might not even be infected. And if word gets out, the panic will spread faster than the contagion. And Mulder is all, what if someone dies because we withheld what we know? And Scully counters that someone could die because they don't withhold it. And he asks if she's okay in there. And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. You should worry about capturing that fugitive. So Scully's kind of on team cigarette smoking man. In he is. She is. It's kind of, I mean, mm. I think, mm. I think they both have a point about panic. I do think at some point information becomes more vital than, you know, but like, it is funny too, because now that you mentioned it, I'm wondering how Paul got infected because he didn't have. He was going to be the next. Well, we don't know that he's infected yet. We haven't got that. Sorry. Scene, but yes. Spoiler. But he now is I'm the next thinking, one. Because Kelly's right. He might not be infected and they don't know that. Right. Because they don't have any idea for sure. Right. But it is. It is interesting. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Spoiler, Paul's infected, huh. and we don't know how because he wasn't there when the pustule exploded. Pustule Unless Steve exploded. had another pustule explode earlier that was maybe smaller and just got like on his arm or something. It seems like when they explode, you die. 
Yeah, but it does seem that way. I'm wondering if that's not always the case, though, because, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Because Steve's exploded and he was dead, like, right after that. I am overthinking then, the science in a science fiction show. So <laughs> you are. That's what yeah. I get, I guess. Anyway. So Scully sits down next to Osborne, who tells her if she's not infected, she should leave immediately. Which I don't know how she can leave if they're, like, on quarantine lockdown, but... No, and then he's like, if you're not infected, you should leave. And it's like, well, we don't know if she's infected, so. Maybe okay. she shouldn't be sitting next to you with your pustule ready to explode anyway. And yeah. she's like, and if I am, and then Osborne's expression is pretty clear. Like, if she's infected, there's not a good outcome. Apparently, whatever they've been doing in the prison for the last few days has not been developing a cure of any kind. So he tells her that the parasite is not detectable in the bloodstream, but he has devised a test. And he puts the F emasculata bug in a clear box. And then he like tapes the box against Scully's arm and like slides the bottom out so that the bug is against her skin. And he tells her that the insect's bite won't infect her. But if she is infected, the bug will incubate the parasite and it'll create a reaction in about two hours. So this doesn't seem like the best test, but I'm not a scientist. So no, it also doesn't seem like something you should do because like, Sure, person who previously lied to me, I'll let you tape a possible death sentence to my arm as a test. Like, there's no way you might not be trying to make sure I don't live long enough to expose all this stuff. Yeah, right? that's, you might be trying to kill me. That's some um, more why you should trust no one, which I feel like Mulder and Scully say a lot, but don't really have in their hearts. I feel like they need to no. learn trust no like, one like, on a deeper like, level. We're going to learn the dude has like, he's like, he, he actually is like now one of like the good guys in this episode, but like he lied to her before and obviously like no one wants her to be telling what's going on. Right. So why wouldn't he like, just be like, I don't know if you're infected, but I'm going to make sure you're infected by like having this bug bite you. Yeah. Okay, sure. Here you go. Put that on my arm. <laughs> yeah. Not a great, not a great plan. Also, I just personally, as someone who I'm not like germaphobic or anything, but like I wouldn't want to be in the room with someone who has like a novel virus and a pustule that might explode at any minute. It just doesn't seem like a great plan. Maybe get like no. a hazmat suit or something first. Yeah. Well, especially because later he yeah. really gets up on that pustule. Oh, anyway. Yeah. So then we're at Dinwiddie County Hospital. And Elizabeth is in this small room in the hospital and like in the room is like another room. There's like this <laughs> glass enclosed place that has yes. like its own air unit and everything. And she's just like sitting on a chair in a bathrobe in the middle of this little tiny space. And Mulder is there and like through the giant wall slash windows, he's like, where's Paul? And Mulder thinks she knows where he's at. So he like pulls up a chair and sits in front of her. And he also thinks that she knows why she's there. And he asks her how she's feeling, and she says she's fine. And Mulder says the other convict was fine, too, until he wasn't. And if Paul is infected, a lot of other people are going to die. And Elizabeth is like, if that's true, how come it's not on TV? And he's like, that's not my decision. And he tells her that Paul is out there somewhere, and she can help him, or she can not help him. So, hmm. So then Mulder leaves the room, and he tells Tapia that Paul is getting on a 10 o'clock plane to Toronto. And she was supposed to be with him. And Tapia says, like, the bus depot is, like, more than half an hour away, even at 90 miles per hour. So he's, like, going to get, like, the local police to send people down there. And Mulder's like, no, if Paul is infected, he could spread it. And those men won't know what they're dealing with. What they need is control. And in case you were a careful listener, 
you will notice that I said Mulder said that he is getting on a 10 o'clock plane to Toronto. But then Tapia says that the bus depot is over half an hour away. I just figured that out. So I just figured that out because we were I actually went back this morning. Nick messaged me. He's like, will you watch this and see if Mulder's is playing? And it's very hard to hear because the door shuts at the same time Mulder says the word. So like there's this door shut noise. I think he's taking the bus to the airport. So they're supposed to be That's on a I 10 o'clock plane. Too, but maybe it's but... a bus. Well, the bus is going to Toronto, though. Never mind. The bus is going to Toronto. You're right. I yeah. think, yeah, I think what we, well, what I decided is probably like David the company misspoke and maybe just no one caught it in part, maybe because it's when the door shuts. And so it's hard to hear what he's saying. Yeah, it is hard to hear. Like I listen, like, and here's the thing you had wrote is getting on a 10 o'clock bus and I'm watching it. I'm like, he does not say bus. He says plane, but then Tapia says bus. So I was like super confused. So then I went to the transcript site at inside the x.co.uk and the transcript says that Mulder says he's getting on a 10 o'clock bus. And I'm like, what? So then I had my wife listen to it. And she actually thought Mulder said flight. And I made sure I didn't prime her ahead of time by like saying like, I just like, can you please listen to this and tell me what Mulder says? She was super confused, but she listened to it several times and she thought he said flight. And I was like, I think he's saying plane. So she listened to it some more. And then of course now I, by this time I had primed her. And so she was like, uh, I think he's still saying flight, but it could be plane. And again, the door is closing right when he says it. So it's kind of hard. Then I told her, well, the transcript says that he says bus. And she's like, no, there's no way he is saying bus. No, he's not. So, he's not. Yeah. So what, what we came across the idea that either, one of two things happened either David Duchovny, because David Duchovny probably never takes the bus. He flies everywhere. So it's more natural <laughs> to say, get on a plane, right? Because only the yeah. tourists take the bus. So, or... <laughs> Those elite Hollywood actors taking planes places. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's obviously flying, like, from Los Angeles to Vancouver. All the time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so plane, right? I'm like... Like I said, the poorest take the bus, especially the Greyhound, right? So, but what, what may have also happened is that maybe in a prior script, they had written plane because they're like, oh, he's going to the airport. And they're like, oh, hell, that's going to be so hard to film. Like, we're not going to get access to a plane. We'll just make it a bus station. And they didn't change it. So it's probably one of two things. Or maybe he just misspoke and no one caught it. I don't yeah. know. But I think it's an error because obviously yeah, I think so. Tapia says bus depot. And then later he's obviously on a bus. And I kind of thought the whole thing, too, of, like, taking the bus to the airport. Yeah, but the bus but does the, say Toronto. It says, like, it's heading yeah, it to does, Toronto. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought, yeah. man, I thought I solved it, but I did not solve it. No. Nope. I think you just misspoke. No, nope, no, nope, nope. Yeah. So, I do, like, so in the scene, one, I think it's... <laughs> The county hospital has like the super contagion room that holds like a single person just sitting in a chair. Like, and it's gotta kind of, like, get uncomfortable. Criminal. Like, why would... it's like a super criminal room. Like, you would just have them there, like being held in stasis or something. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah. Because it's not even like any room in there, like to put a bed or lay down. It's just like here's a chair, and you're trapped in this room. <laughs> but then also the scene, we didn't go into it as much detail. I mean, now I'm spending a bunch of time doing it because we probably could have. But like the interaction between her and Mulder she gets kind of accusatory and talks a lot about the truth and like, why is it on TV? And like, if you're not telling the truth, why should I tell you the truth? And this kind of stuff. And it kind of like reverses the roles of like Mulder is playing like the cigarette smoking man and she's playing the Mulder role. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a call back to the previous scene. And I thought it was actually pretty good. It's not like the greatest acting on the planet, but it probably is like maybe the best writing in this episode, I think, because it kind of gives that call back and kind of like yeah. shows like we've talked about the like two sides of the story kind of thing. And so, yeah, well, and so. also like, you know, why is it on TV if there's this massive outbreak? Like, again, like, mm -hmm. 
yeah i could see somebody earnestly believing that because you know yeah i think what gets in the way of it not being acted very well is the fact that she's got this accent because she's supposed to be like kind of southern in this episode um i don't think she does a good job on it she didn't have it in (laughs) in fire yeah yeah you do what you can so so then we're at the bus depot and the clock shows 9 25 and paul is at the counter and he's buying a ticket one way to toronto and he's coughing he has a huge pustle on his face and like the ticket operator lady she's not pleased the fact that she's having to do with him and the no, bus depot is super full of either. people yeah but she's like toronto one way and he's like yeah and he's like looking around and then it goes commercial again i don't love so. being coughed on by people and i work customer service for years so i totally get that i mean I, yeah not but, that it's your fault but like wear a mask if you're sick she is reasonably super uncomfortable because he looks gross yeah i mean he so. yeah and his pustules like pulsing and i'm gonna yeah. little tmi here i had one of those pimples that like really hurts like on my neck when i was watching this episode and it made me very oh. uncomfortable because i was like oh god oh no i have a pimple too what if it is anyway yeah one of those things well where... i mean not to one up you but when i was 16 i caught chicken pox for like the second time apparently oh, yeah. i had it as a kid but then i never apparently didn't i caught it again when i was 16 and then after i got rid of the chicken pox i developed cystic acne on my back and shoulders not fun no you get like huge pustules i have like scars and everything so not cool and well and i think part of it is the masks to be honest because i'm wearing like the masks and like i don't know but i've just had some weird acne lately it's not been fun anyway Mm. you don't need to know this we can cut this out (laughs) now we'll leave it it's medical history in the making no Uh, my wife has been getting some acne around her mask area too because yeah. she wears a mask a lot before she works so. oh yeah i bet yeah if you're out like and especially when it's hot and you're sweating in it i'm sure that just makes yeah it. yeah so osborne removes the bug from scully's arm and he starts to tell her that once they harvest the blood from the insect they can tell if she's infected or not but like he kind of whines in pain like he kind of cuts himself off and then he topples over and so scully bends down <laughs> with her face right near the pustule and he tells her that the toxins are moving into his brain so he doesn't have much longer and he needs scully to help him and so she asks what he wants her to do so yeah, she's like cradling him and the pustule was literally like maybe like three inches from her mouth it's so close not even just her face and she's like all oh and like her mouth is wide open and there's this giant gross thing like right in front of her face it's brilliant anyway wear a mask so she (laughs) uh it cuts to osborne and he's in a gurney so he's got one of those plastic protective shell things that we saw garza in Mm -hmm. earlier and scully is standing outside it and he tells her that she has to complete the test and find out if she's infected she asks why he confided in her and osborne says that it's not a secret he feels like taking to the grave people have a right to know the danger they put them in if scully's test comes back negative she has to tell the world. And she's like, how can I prove it? And he's like, I don't know. But if you don't, it'll just happen again. And then he says, don't believe for a second that this is an isolated incident. Yeah. So I, I'm assuming it probably because like time or just economy, they probably assume the angle would hide it. But in this scene, when he's laying in the gurney talking to her, 
he does not have the pustule on his neck. There's no makeup. <laughs> you can see his neck and it's like part of his clavicle even a little bit. I think maybe it might be his shirt, but you can definitely see like far down enough on his right. neck to where you would see the pustule and he doesn't have it. So they should have like gone for a lower angle, I guess. But yeah, he clearly does not have the makeup on in this scene. This was not filmed Oops. on the same day. No, probably not. So Scully smears some of the bug blood on a slide and she examines it. And like apparently she's not infected she takes a moment before she looks so she kind of does that deep breath before i check and see if i'm dying and then looks and then she takes her mask off and she goes to tell osborne she's not infected but the containment unit he was in is gone i'm not sure why she suddenly takes the mask off because she's not infected yeah i know i mean at that point <laughs> if anything maybe leave it on yeah i mean i think we've learned a lot more from the general public about how masks work, at least some of us. So yeah, that is a little bit weird. She probably should have left that on because you don't want to get I mean, infected. the whole thing with COVID is like the mask isn't really like keeping you from getting it. It's keeping you from infecting others. Right. The, but still like, like, oh, I'm wearing this equipment. I'm wearing like glasses and a mask. I mean, the bare minimum, she should be wearing like a full thing, right? But then when she looks at the test and is like, oh, I'm not infected. She's like, oh, cool. I can take this mask off now. I'm not inf- <laughs> like, what? Like, <laughs> okay. All right, Scully. <laughs> so we cut back to the bus depot and there's this kid running through the bus depot and his mom's like trying to chase after him. And she's like, tells him to wait a second. And he's like, I don't want to miss the bus. And he's like, he's, like running around, like looking at different buses, figure out which one he's supposed to be on. And she's like, the bus is still boarding. Look, they're loading the luggage. You got time. Like, give your mom a kiss goodbye. And he kind of like, oh. And so he like gives her a kiss goodbye. And then he jumps on the bus and he's going down the aisle. And like Paul grabs him. And Paul is even grosser than he was when he was buying his ticket. And he grabs the kid and he's like, what time is it, kid? And the kid's like, it's 20 to 10. And then the kid's like, oh. And then like goes to the back of the bus to get away from him. So. Yeah. yeah. So when the kid gets on the bus, it does say that it's going to Buffalo, not to Toronto. Yeah. But it could be like the first leg of the trip because, like, you don't even need to make a side trip. It's like if you're going from Dinwiddie County to Toronto, like, you basically go through Buffalo. Yeah. That would so. make sense. Because Dinwiddie County actually is a real county in the Commonwealth of Virginia. As of 2010 census, the population was 28,001. We got to get that one in there. It's very important. The county seat is actually Dinwiddie Town, I guess. I don't know if it's city or not. And it's part of the Richmond, Virginia Metropolitan Statistical Area because it's 45 miles south and slightly west of Richmond, Virginia. Nice. So it's a real, it's a real place. Um, we don't know what city they're in because they just keep saying Dinwiddie County, Dinwiddie County. But the whole county is only 28,000 people. So, you know, I doubt there's probably a correctional facility there. I could be wrong. But I guess it would be a good place to put one. There's a low population. But who knows? Yeah. So in the incinerator room, men are putting the bodies in the incinerator. And Scully's like, what are you doing? And they're like, we're destroying material in accordance with standard CDC procedure. And she's like, you don't work for the CDC. And she asks where Dr. Osborne is. And the man nods at one of the bags. And we see that Osborne's body is wrapped in plastic and it's labeled with his name as well. And the other men pick it up and they put it into the incinerator. And Scully says that Osborne wanted her to tell the others what happened here. But the man's like, Osborne is dead and no one else will corroborate your story. Just be glad this thing is under control. 
Yeah. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? Why did she think all the bodies were stacked into the incinerator room? What were they going to do? <laughs> well, I don't think that comment is like literally, what are you doing? I think she's mad that they're destroying evidence. And so it's like, what are you doing? She knows what they're doing. but Yeah, but I mean, they were there to be incinerated. The fact that they hadn't been previously. It was right. I'm just saying that that's oversight. not a literal question. I do love that, like, they labeled Osborne's bag with, like, his name and everything when he's probably been in that bag, like, for minutes before they throw it into the center. I know. Well, you gotta label it. Important. It's Osborne. <laughs> There's our buddy. Yeah. But if we're going into, like, conspiracy mode. So Scully is actually lucky they didn't just like clock her and chuck her in the incinerator too. I know. Because you don't want any witnesses, man. Like She is really lucky you know. that these guys are like not that. I mean, they're evil, but they're not that evil. Yeah. Apparently evil corporations are like as incompetent as everyone else. Yeah. Because, yeah. Honestly, probably a little more incompetent. But if yeah. you don't want her talking, like you would just be like, you know. Boom. Who's going to say she wasn't infected, right? We had a, sorry, we had an incinerator. Right. Yep. She died of the virus and she's gone. Yep. yep. Clock her on the head. Boom. She's in the incinerator. Too bad. Sorry. So we cut to Mulder and Tapia and the marshals and they're at the Greyhound station and Mulder talks to the woman who sold Paul the ticket and she's like, mm-hmm, because he shows her a picture and she's like, oh yeah. He, and then she's like all gesturing to her face to show like he had gross stuff on it. And then the other agents, the other marshals, like, fanning out looking for him. And Mulder tells Tapia that he's there, and he boarded a bus to Toronto, and he's definitely infected. And then his phone rings, and it's Scully. He's definitely infected because that person who sold him the ticket was like, oh, yeah, this guy had gross pustules on his face. Yeah, she was all like, ooh. Yeah. So Scully tells Mulder that she thinks everything at the prison is under control. And he asks her if she's okay. And she says, yeah, and she asks if he found the second prisoner. And Mulder tells her that the prisoner is heading to Toronto. And she's actually surprised the prisoner's still alive because obviously if he was infected, the incubation period, like he should already be dead. And then she warns him about the exploding pustules and how the infection is spread to avoid further infection and spread, right? That's good because Mulder did say he needed that information. He did. I mean, that would have been the logical thing for her to tell him. But for some reason, she does not tell him that. I don't know why. Oh, don't know why you said she did no i lied and i crossed because i thought that's what she was going to tell him and she didn't instead she just tells him that all the evidence at the prison has been destroyed and if Mulder wants to get the truth out paul is going to have to make a statement which okay i get (laughs) give him a a press conference give paul a press conference i mean i get that osborne's dying which was for skelly to get the word out and also she sort of killed him so she kind of owes him (laughs) Like, I get it, but it's so, and like, I get that Mulder may actually know how it spread. Maybe they figured that out based on like, maybe Mulder and Scully have had a conversation we haven't seen. Maybe he figured out because of Elizabeth and how it was transmitted and they they put those pieces together. It's just one of those things that I would have loved just a single line of dialogue so that we know that that information has been conveyed from point A to point B. And possibly they did it because they want it to be tension. And if Mulder doesn't know how it spread, maybe he'll get up close and personal with a pustule. I don't know. It just, it bothered me that she didn't say it because like you said, they already had talked about how she should tell him if she finds out yeah. and then she doesn't she specifically ask for that information. When and she I'm gets like, it. okay, okay. Anyway, it's fine. Hopefully Scully will now drop the idiot ball and we can give it to somebody else. going to drop it on her foot. So the marshals are in the bus depot and they're crawling all over the tops of buses and surrounding all the other buses. And they're like, making people leave the buses that are in like the bus area, I guess, or like 
yeah off the other buses to make sure all the other buses are empty except for the one i'm sure no one is like in the bus looking out the windows going what's going on (laughs) but you know and like one guy is like wriggling on the floor under the bus (laughs) for some reason i'm not sure what's going on because it's it's a little over the top like it's too much it's too much yeah it's a little bit like the scene when they like raided like the gas station it's just like they're like just yeah a little extreme they're like they were like hey all you extras act like cops and they're like oh yeah yeah some guy's down on his belly like i know how to be a cop yeah like mm, mm, mm," like on his elbows like just crawling across the parking lot yeah so toppy is outside the parking area and he's talking to people like through the radio and Mulder warns him that if Paul sees a uniform on the bus, he could panic and endanger the other people. Cause again, they don't know if he has a gun or not. Right. They think he might, but they're, they're not sure. So Toppy is like, well, then what do you want to do? And Mulder says, well, how about I board the bus? Cause one, I'm not wearing like a U.S. Marshal's uniform and I can get directly behind Paul. Just like get on, get in the seat and then put a gun to his head and then tell everyone else to get off the bus. It actually sounds like a pretty decent plan. Yeah. Right? So Mulder gets on the bus and he's looking at the seats and he can't see the dude. I mean, he knows what he looks like, right? He's got a picture. He showed the agent and the driver's like, um, sir, can you take a seat? Like I've got a schedule to hold. I got to leave. And Mulder's like, ah, so then he sits behind the driver and then he's like, take the keys out of the ignition and turn around slowly. And the driver's like, driver probably thinks he's being like hijacked or something. And then Mulder like shows him the badge. and was like, I'm a federal agent. And then he's like, have you seen this person? He shows him the picture of Paul. And the driver's like, oh, yeah. And he looks back to the back of the bus. And Paul is coming out of the bathroom looking probably even more gross and awful than he looked previously when he looked more gross and awful than he looked previously. And the driver's like, that's him. And like points at him. (laughs) So then Paul sees Mulder looking at him and the driver pointed at him. And he pulls out his gun. And then so Mulder stands up and pulls out his gun. And tells Paul to drop it, but Paul doesn't drop it. Instead, he grabs that kid from earlier as a hostage and, like, sits down in the seat. And the kid is, like, right up on the pustule, like, almost, like, cheek to cheek. I know, I know. The pustule is probably a good, like, inch and a half to two inches away from Paul's face. It is so big, right? So... Tapia sees the chaos on the bus and is like, okay, plan A has gone to hell. And then he starts telling his men to move into position. So Mulder tells Paul to let the kid go. There are at least a dozen U.S. Marshals outside. And like, how far do you think you're going to get, dude? And Paul's looking around and he can see out the window. So now he's looking out the windows and you can see like marshals on top of all like the buses and different landings and they all got guns pointed at him. So then he's like, I'm dying, aren't I? And Mulder's like, the question is, how many people are you going to take with you? And he tells him, your girlfriend is infected, possibly your son. And Paul's like, oh, he looks all anguished. And the motor's like, how many people do you want to expose? And Paul's like, it came from that package in Bobby's cell, didn't it? And Mulder's like, you saw a package? And Pod nods, and he's like, what the hell was it? And meanwhile, his pustule is like big, and it's kind of, you wrote that it's pulsating. I'm not sure. I guess it's supposed to be pulsating. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But he like coughs and there's like foam in his mouth, which is totally gross too. And then Mulder orders everyone off the bus. So everyone leaves. Paul's still holding that kid though. And he kind of gestures for the kid to come towards him. So then Paul lets the kid go and he like runs away. And the Mulder says, what was in that package? And he tells Paul a pharmaceutical company was using them as guinea pigs. And if Paul tells Mulder it was in the package, he'll make sure they won't get away with it. And Paul is obviously like in bad shape and Mulder keeps walking closer. And then Paul gets ready to say something, but then (laughs) window splinters and a bullet comes through, hits Paul in the head. Paul's dead. Someone shot him. Boom. 
We don't know who. We never see. I thought they were actually going to do that, like, deep focus thing. Because, like, we see a close-up of Paul's face and we see the window shatter. And, like, whatever's in the background is, like, blurry. And I thought they were going to do that thing where they change the focus and show you who shot him. But they don't. So we actually don't know who shot him. So was it a federal U.S. marshal? Was it a conspiracy dude? We don't know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, then some hazmat men come in and grab Mulder and drag him off the bus. Yeah. So apparently in order to make the pustule on his face like pulse during this scene, makeup's effects supervisor Toby Lindala had like this handheld device that was like connected to the like the pustule makeup and like he was like wedged under the bus seat and so he could like squeeze it by hand and make it pulse. Yeah. I'm not sure it was pulse to me because it was so big and like what it looked like was like when he was moving his head when he was talking, it was just kind of like moving like in the wind it looked like it had already burst and like the blistered skin on the top was just like wiggling loosely since all the pressure had been released it didn't look like it was pulsing to me like it was just kind of like oh. flappy like it had already pulsed but i don't know, I don't it, know. Looked it was pulsing just, it, to me but it was super it was big. very big and very gross yes yeah so while we're in the bus station still i do have to have another little rant like I've complained several times about some of the resources that we use for references for the X-Files because like we weren't there. We don't know that we rely on books, information from other people. And I'm constantly amazed by the selectivity that X marks the spot uses, which is the book that talks about the locations that they used for filming the X-Files. Like for this particular episode, they spent paragraphs talking about the gas station and the bus station that are both in Delta, British Columbia that they use for this episode. But then they never mentioned the location that was used for the exterior of the correctional facility. Like, even if it's just like a sentence that says like, oh, that was like stock, like maybe it was stock footage, right? Maybe it's not a real location they went yeah. to. It was just like stock footage they used. But like, it's a book about the locations for the show. Yeah. And like never mention that kind of stuff. Like it's happened mention, a few times. Yeah, they don't mention every location. Sometimes for an episode, they don't even have anything. So I think yeah. it's just probably the locations that they think are interesting and fascinating instead of just like a complete compendium of locations yeah because like the stadium in sleepless yeah they never mention what that is yeah and then like the washington institute of technology and firewalker they don't mention what that is it's just, it's kind of weird they'll they'll talk forever about some like oh we had to build the pool yeah for the dude to use in humbug like whole sidebars talking about that and then there'll be like some really like nice set piece and they don't talk about it at all yeah it's, it's i mean weird. i'm sure it just has to do with like what they think is interesting and like Maybe like we found this this stadium is not that exciting. I mean, maybe we're just supposed to know like, oh, yeah, they built a stadium in Vancouver. It's obviously that stadium. Yeah, I don't know. It's been like almost 30 years and I don't live in Vancouver. Yeah. I'm just curious, but eh, whatever. So in Skinner's office, Mulder hands Skinner a vial with one of the F. Emasculata bugs inside. And he tells him that Robert Torrance, the prisoner, was patient zero. Just before he got sick, he received a package from Pink Pharmaceuticals. They were trying to circumvent human trials to get their drug on the market, which I have questions because they didn't seem to have a drug for this. No. So I think yeah. maybe that's not correct. Like as far as what they were doing, I think maybe they were testing the, I don't know, something. But Skinner, maybe they did have a drug and it turns out it didn't work. And so maybe, I don't know. Anyway, Skinner asked why he's telling him this. And Mulder says that he wanted him to hear it from Mulder before he read it in the papers. And Skinner's like, uh, you should seriously reconsider bringing this to the media if that's your intention. And Mulder says that people deserve to know so it doesn't happen again. And Skinner is dubious. And he's like, 
What, you're going to prove this conspiracy with an empty package and a dead insect? Leave it alone, Agent Mulder. And he tells him the outbreak was contained. So basically, that's kind of a win, or the only win we're going to get here. And Mulder's angry, and he says 18 people were killed. And if Skinner is helping them cover it up, he's as guilty as they are. And Skinner tells him he has no idea who he's dealing with. And Mulder's like, I thought I was dealing with you. And then someone knocks on the door, and it's Scully. And she hands Mulder a report from the Costa Rican government. She tells him that a scientist who went missing in Costa Rica was named Robert Torrance, the same as the prisoner. And he was working for Pink. And it was Pink's failsafe in case this ever got out. Basically, they sent it to a prisoner with the same name as their scientist, and they could blame it on a postal error. Like, we meant to send this to our scientist, not to this prisoner. The address is all like crossed out. Well, I mean, I think like the idea would be that someone maybe looked him up. I don't know. Yeah, some kind of post office mistake where they mistook the Robert for a different Robert. And Mulder says that's why they were given this assignment. They knew all along if they succeeded in finding the truth, Mulder and Scully would just be discredited as part of it. And Skinner's like, see, you never had a chance. For every step Mulder takes, they're three steps ahead. And Mulder asks Skinner where he stands. And Skinner says he stands right on the line that Mulder keeps crossing. (gasps) So Scully tells Mulder they should go. And as they're leaving, Skinner calls out to Mulder. And he says, I'm saying this as a friend. Watch your back. This is just the beginning. And Mulder and Scully leave his office and the camera focuses on the bug. I wonder if that bug's going to end up in a warehouse. Uh, Probably. In the Pentagon. Yeah, I would assume so. So... Hmm. We've talked about things. They do this um, occasionally. What happened to Elizabeth? What happened to Angelo? Did they live? Did they die? We don't know. I mean, I would guess given Angelo's rate of infection, he probably died. Elizabeth, we don't actually know. And she may. Well, I, th- I don't. Why well, don't we don't know that Angelo was infected at all. Don't we? I thought we saw pustules on him. No, I don't think so. Oh, OK, then I'm just I'm he probably, had blood all over his face. I'm conflating him with what's his name then? Yeah, he you know he had blood all over his head because he got hit by the pipe. Oh yeah, I don't think we ever saw him with pustules. Well, if they brought, I him mean, into they the they prison. did wheel him into a room full of people that were infected. So, but you know, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we don't know. So we don't, and we definitely don't know about Elizabeth. So, yeah, it's too bad. But again, like how they say it infects people, both Paul and Steve don't seem to be have been in that situation yet. They both were infected. Although so. Paul does mention the package. So I wonder if when they were in his room, like the they found the leg and maybe it was still. Pulse. Yeah, they obviously both got contaminated by cleaning up Robert Torrance's prison cell. Right. Well, right? but if he saw the package, maybe that thing was still there. And maybe there was another pustule on it and exploded on both of them or something. Oh, maybe, I, don't I don't know. know I'm but... just, yeah, I'm spitballing. But yeah, I mean, obviously that's how they got contaminated was being in his room. We don't know exactly, you know, if it spread the way they say. I mean, maybe just touching the pus later. Maybe it's not like the spores in Firewalker, Firewalker yeah. where you have to be there right when it explodes. Maybe the pus can still infect you. Maybe. After the fact. We don't get a clear explanation of how it's really spread. So. No, we don't. But, you know, anyway, and I've already complained about Scully opening the plastic. Like I said, Mulder would rip something open. You could tell him there was Ebola in something, and but also aliens. And he would, like, tear it open without thinking. Whereas, like, I don't think Scully would do that. But anyway, it's fine. It happened. Whatever. Let's move on with our lives. Well, I do have to say, Robert Shearman agrees with you. 
in the Wanting to Believe, A Critical Guide to the X-Files Millennium and the Lone Gunman book. That is the only reference that actually brings this up about how, like, Scully would not do this. She's smarter than that. Yeah. So, like, he actually mentions that. Like, it's not great writing. Yeah, like, he actually, like, says, like, this is completely against her character. It is. It she, is completely. She not something he would do. She is a so. smart woman. Like, she does reckless things sometimes, but usually to, like, save Mulder or something. Usually not just because she feels like cutting open hazardous waste <laughs> for fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm at the point now where I'm looking at like almost a dozen books for every episode we go through. Like after I watch it, I go through like at least I think I'm up to 11 books now that I have that I go through. And this was the only one that actually brings that up. And it's not just like a glowing review of the episode. Not that I always agree with everything he writes. He just seems to pander less than most of the other books. But, yeah, well, I mean, I gotta yeah. say, if you're going to write a book about a TV show chances are anyone who's going to do that is going to be a fan of that tv show so i know but his so his book is a critical guide to the x-files the other book the um, monster of the week book that is basically a giant love fest the x-files yes is subtitled the critical companion to the x-files and they are not critical yeah at all and i'm not saying critical has to be like you complain but you have to critique that's what the word means right like you say things, you either say, you don't just be like, oh, it's X-Files, I love it. But it is the so. X-Files and I do love it. I do love it. I'm a certified X-Files fangirl. I'm thinking I dodged the bullet by stop watching after season one at this point. But <laughs> we'll find out. So um, I also realized, and I was telling my wife this earlier, I'm just like, and we've mentioned this before. I think all TV is like this, which is why I honestly, I don't really watch TV. I like I kind of like stopped watching TV like almost entirely like at that point and I really haven't gone back. I will occasionally watch something, but I'm not really a TV watcher. Maybe that's just something I'm not I'm into. Maybe I have I'm not saying I'm better than everybody else, but I maybe I just have like a higher story standard or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I a just, TV junkie, more. so I mean, you like reality TV. I so. love all sorts of things. Like Top Chef is like my favorite show, so I do like reality TV. And for a while, Project Runway was pretty far up there. But I also really just love, like, television in general. I used to want to write for TV. Like, that used to be my goal in life. So, like, I love television. I mean, apparently it's not hard. So. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it is. I think it's just getting your foot in the door. And once your foot's in the door, you can that is the, the you want. Honestly, that's one of the more challenging things. Um, it's not an easy industry to break into. Yeah. But Frank Spotnitz loved the virus, like pustule makeup effects. He says they were really happy with how grotesque they looked. I think they look great. I think they're super gross. I see your comment here that you don't apparently agree, but <laughs> I think I mean, the makeup they were is fine. Really good. I just think like re like when he when he first came on the series, I talked about how like he he seemed to be a little more like the outsider guy because he was an outsider guy, and so he was kind of doing the thing of like, why are we doing things this way? But now it's we're not even like a few episodes in but he is he's not just drinking the kool-aid he's like making the kool-aid at this point and i'm guessing like a paycheck is a hell of a drug dude so i mean or he know. genuinely liked it good that good is on also you. an option so yeah, maybe he really does feel good about the stuff that they did <laughs> that is possible i mean a paycheck will make you feel good i mean yeah you're so cynical i am sorry I'm old. I've seen a lot of things, people. Yeah. A lot of things. I'm also old, but I've decided that like I have more fun 
just loving the stupid stuff that I love. And I love a lot of stupid stuff. And I've just, I've gotten to the age where I don't care what people think. If they're like, wow, you watch some trashy TV. I do. I watched The Circle and then I watched The Circle France and it was entertaining AF. So like... Well, I'm you're down. assuming that me complaining about things is not enjoyable. No, so. I mean, I don't think there's anything <laughs> wrong with that. I think, you know, how you want to how you want to absorb media or like, I can't even think of the word because my brain is, it's now gotten hot in my apartment because all the fans are off and the doors are closed and my brain's starting to, I think I have some heat related PTSD because now like after hey, the, I am literally locked in a closet. I know. I'm literally closed in a closet right now. So it's just funny how like, you know, this is not that hot today, but I think just after that one weekend, we had a couple weeks ago with the heat wave. Anytime I'm even mildly warm, I'm just like, uh, yeah, a little bit of, whew. Anyway, I'm fine. So what I was going to say is this episode is one of the few times the cigarette smoking man appears in a non-Mythark episode because he is very much tied to the X-Files conspiracy Mythark. And apparently Chris Carter really wanted to keep those separate from the Monster of the Week episodes. But I love that he's in this one. I think he plays a good role in this one. And again, I just love seeing William B. Davis. So I thought it worked. Oh. Well, I guess it's probably time to do what we do. Ratings. And do the review. So, I mean, I complained about the writing of Scully. I, I hate it. But otherwise, like, it's an Outbreak episode. I'm a sucker for Outbreak stories. I actually think that overall, this episode is very entertaining. It's it's very like, what's going to happen? There's a lot going I mean, there's a lot of like chasing the fugitive kind of thing. You know, it's interesting and it definitely held my attention and I think it's pretty solid. So I think I'm going to give it a seven. A seven? Yeah, I really wow, liked more it. more than the Kalashari. Despite the wow. fact that Scully holds the idiot ball for a very long time and clings to it. Otherwise, I thought the episode was good. I don't mind the idea of like her maybe getting infected. Like, I think we know as the viewer that Scully's not going to get the deadly virus. But like, well, unless they're going to magically come up with a cure at the end of the episode again. Right. So. Which is also possible. But yeah, I mean, I just there are better ways for that to have happened. But otherwise, I thought it was pretty good. I'm again, I enjoy these kinds of things. So I thought it was pretty solid. And I, I like Skinner. I like the cigarette smoky man. I like the idea of a pharmaceutical company corporate conspiracy. I mean, I probably like that less now that there are people who literally believe that and won't get vaccinated. But like, I mean, I do think corporations do awful things all the time. And I do think that people who exist in prisons get treated like crap and probably have to endure stuff that we can't even imagine. And I wouldn't be surprised if a pharmaceutical company did something to a prison population. So that doesn't strike me as that out of the realm of reality. But if they're in prison, they deserve it. Not necessarily. Yeah, no, that's not how that works. No, they don't. I don't believe that. Definitely not. Especially people who Do are... not take that out of context. Yeah, no. So <laughs> yeah, I don't that believe that either. So anyway, yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty solid episode. It's entertaining. It does what it's supposed to do. And it's, it's an outbreak story, which I tend to enjoy. Okay, well... Since we are talking about U.S. Marshals, and you did mention the word fugitive, I'm going to repeat one of my favorite lines of, I don't care. I have seen The Fugitive, for the record. I have seen that. Yeah, with Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. I know a lot of times I'm like, I don't know yeah. what that is. No, and he's I've like, seen I didn't kill my wife. And he's like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to say that because that was funny. Not really relating to this episode because I do care. I care deeply but I also didn't really like it. So 
But that's different from caring. Yeah. You can care and not like something. So I think I'm going with... What is Nick going with? <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go with a three. Okay. Yeah. This, uh, it just... Uh, I like it. It's, it's, it's not great writing. And to anger everyone, I mean, that's kind of to be expected when you put Chris Carter and Howard Gordon together. So, yeah pretty par for the course on their episodes yeah i thought they definitely could have done stuff better but it worked for me well there's just so much stuff that doesn't make sense or like you say it's like just it's i have to say it was quite nice to just sit back and listen to you say a lot of the things that i say on almost every episode yeah i mean i do think that the way they handled skelly was not good and i do then you turned it around and gave it a seven because i enjoyed it anyhow write a book called the critical guide to the x-files i should write a book called i heart the x-files a lot because i do and i did like critical view i think when you think about it like there is a lot of stuff that they just i don't think it's that it doesn't make sense so much as they just don't explain it they don't really explain they explain one way the virus is transmitted, but they don't really explain what the pharmaceutical company was really hoping to learn or what their real intention was. They don't explain like obviously what happens to Elizabeth or Garza. I mean, there's some stuff that's left hanging. If they had two hours to make this like an outbreak TV movie, it could have been a lot better. And also if they had better ways to get Scully into dire situations, <laughs> being stupid. Unfortunately, they did not this time. But it is funny because this did come out around the time of outbreak. And I think they were worried about people thinking. Yeah, that, apparently like, they thought about holding back the episode Yeah, because the movie had come out and they decided not to. So I'm like, oh, so you are able to hold back episodes if you want to. Every so often. But yeah, yeah, I thought, I mean, it was entertaining. I enjoyed it. Actually, I, I basically like all the episodes from here on out through season two. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I like them all. I think they're all really good, so... Okay. Well, you've seen them all. Yes. At this point, well, I've so only I seen half not. of Anasazi, to be fair. But like, I remember that episode, and I, I remember liking it, so I think I'm good there. So I think that's I can make that kind okay. of declaration. Well, we'll see. We'll see if I can join you on this wagon train of love, yes. or if I'm going to be <laughs> walking my broken down mare, complaining about <laughs> lack of chili. I don't know where I'm going with this I don't analogy. Know what that anyway. <laughs> just taking it a little too far so i don't get that reference i'm sorry i don't know I'm sorry well it's a wagon train i'm not on the wagon train i'm just walking my oh horse. i see it's broken i down. see okay and wagon then, train got it then, okay and then for some reason i was complaining that there's no chili uh, yeah which would make sense hasn't cause... made chili for some reason okay yeah well I mean, if you're but... on a wagon train you're lucky to get beef jerky and dried bread so they... i'd be happy with beef jerky and dried bread <laughs> as long as there was beer it probably was. Because you wouldn't want to drink the water. No. Like, no, that's how you get dysentery. And we all know from Oregon Trail that that is not good. Kind oh, of dysentery. All right, we're going off the rails here. Yes. Yeah. I think it's time to wrap it up. I think it's time to wrap it up. All right. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a veteran closet. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazian Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. 
If they like the X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch season two of the X-Files, episode 23, Soft Light. And try to figure out if the the truth truth is still out there. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. I don't know what to say. No, it's fine. I'm just geeking out over William B. Davis, which is the thing that I do because I love that dude. No. One of my friends used to wait on him in Bellingham all the time, and I am jealous. Oh. Just because it'd be cold. <laughs>